It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe about life or faith or God even. You want to make a difference in the lives of others. When you see a problem or you witness suffering or you hear about people in need, there's just something in you that wants to help them. But most of us see the huge problems in our world today and we think, it's just too much. I can't do it all. And so what most of us do is we feel really sad and then we hang our heads and we walk away feeling guilty for not having done anything. And that's where many of us were at Community Christian over a decade ago when we got really focused on the issue of extreme poverty in our world, which is anyone living on less than a dollar a day. We saw all the problems poverty causes with hunger and education, and the rate of childhood deaths and early childhood development. And the problem was so big that we knew we couldn't fix it. So it felt natural to give up and just admit there's nothing we can do. But our community said, we are not gonna do that because that's not what Jesus did. And it's not what he commanded us to do. Even though we can't do everything, we can do something. And for more than a decade, we have been focused on making an impact on our community and our world in a way we never were before. And we set aside time each year to encourage each other to do what we can do and watch God do what only He can do. And over the last decade, we have been blessed to participate with God in what has become a worldwide effort that even during a worldwide pandemic, has continued to make strides in seeing child poverty rates in this country decrease. And it's not because those of us at Community Christian are more compassionate or caring or more brilliant than anyone else. It's because we have decided to take seriously Jesus and His way of life that leads us towards compassion, service, and selfless giving to those in need. And we're not done. There's still more we can do. And if we can do something, then we should do something. Because the God who generously sent Jesus to us has sent us in the name of Jesus to offer love and support and help to our world. And even though that task may feel overwhelming and complicated and maybe even doomed to fail, we know that Jesus offers us a life that is light and easy and it's full of purpose when we do something with Him. So no matter who you are or what you believe about God, you are invited to join us as we do something in the name of Jesus. Because no matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you. He is for you and He only has good in mind for your life. And we want to help you experience the life of purpose that Jesus has for you. Hi, my name is Heidi and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. this is your first time with us or you haven't been with us long, you wouldn't know this, but this is one of the things that fuels me. 
I love to talk about our generosity efforts because compared to the rest of the world, we have all been blessed so much. Not only do I love it because it's at the heart of becoming more like our Father who's been so generous to us, but because it's always been at the center of what followers of Jesus do. In fact, in the first century when the church was starting, the thing that got people's attention was not what they believed because, I mean, the story about a man rising from the dead was as difficult for them to believe as it is for some of us to believe. The thing that fascinated people about Christians was that they exhibited this brand of generosity that was so unknown to people in that day. When they saw other people who did for others without thinking about what they would get, I mean, in their world, it was you help with the thought that one day, if I need it, you'll feel obligated to help me. But since Jesus came along and said, no, we're, we're gonna do for people who can't help you and you do for others knowing that they'll never do for you. In fact, he said, I want you to take it to the extreme. I want you to help your enemies. Then he would tell stories about a victim of racism who actually helped somebody who possibly would have treated him with hatred. He would tell them to go to the least likely people who are outcasts and he would treat them like they were special. And the first century Christians, they picked up on this. And this was one of the things that characterized them. The church was this safest place to be a woman, where children were given respect that was only generally given to adults. Christians would pick up babies on the riverbanks and bring them into their home and care for them as their own. And the Roman and Greek world looked at that kind of compassion and generosity, and it was like, where is that coming from? And it was so unique, it was so unbelievable. This is what they used in a society that was totally against what they believed in a culture where the church had no leverage. Their generosity got people's attention and eventually they began to follow the one that had led them to do it. We believe that this no strings attached kind of generosity is where we say, you don't have to believe like we do. We just wanna do something to help. It's still the most irresistible thing to people. So we try to do this all year, but every year we come back to this to remind us that this is our heritage and it's our call to the one we follow. We wanna be a church. We wanna be a community of people that do good for those who can't or who won't do good for themselves. To do good for those who can't or won't do good for you. This isn't a sideline for us, but once a year, we focus our attention. It's a part of what fuels us for the next 12 months. We do it not because we think it's gonna change the world, although we hope it does. We're doing it because this is a reflection of what our Heavenly Father did for us when He sent a Savior into the world to do for the us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is why we believe in the local church. Because churches are communities of disciples who are learning together how to live like Jesus in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, in their communities. And these kind of disciple-making communities will produce generous, compassionate people who work to bless those around them and make a difference in the world in Jesus' name. Three years ago, I sat down with a hundred uh, city officials, business owners, principals, and asked four questions. Um, what's your dream for the city in the next five years? What are its greatest needs? What would you love for the relationship between the church and the city to look like? And or what does it look like? And what would you love for it to look like? And sadly, those when I got to those last two questions, every single out of 100 people, 
Every single person that I met said, you're the first church to actually come and ask us what we would love for it to look like. We believe that the church should be the greatest agent of change in a community. And so we try to live up to that and live by that code and that desire and that dream. Some of the challenges, you know, as a church, we we come in and try to be prescriptive about everything instead of asking people to be, hey, would you be as descriptive as possible so that we can we can figure out how we can help meet these needs? And so I just showed up in meetings like city council meetings, board meetings. And I was like, if I'm OK to be in here, I'll sit in the corner and I will speak when spoken to. I just want to learn. And so we're in a meeting and. It, we, they found out that um, the city had lost funding for movies in the park. So just in the meeting, hadn't launched it or anything. And the head of that meeting looked at me and said, hey, would City Church want to take that over? Uh, and I was like, yes, I don't know what that means, but yes, we will definitely take that over. And so there's some of this in every community, but Griffin is incredibly divided racially and socioeconomically. And it's divided by train tracks. And so you have two different two different cities living um, in the same boundaries, but not conversing, not spending time together. And so um, we just believe that if the church should be the greatest way to change the community, then we should be the ones building the bridge even racially in our community. And so even moving in the park where we did it, we did it centrally to where everyone would come together. And so the first moving park we did three years ago, multiple people said, this is the most diverse thing we've seen in Griffin in a long time. A mother came up to us and said, a black black mother, and she said, hey, thank you for creating a space where I can show my son that it's okay for black kids and white kids to play together, to dance together, to laugh together. And it's a good thing and a celebrated thing. And we were like, man, this is part of the mission. And so from there, we're like, okay, the next piece we feel like is, is important is we want to we want to put mentors in local elementary schools, um, and so we have one partner elementary school. Again, there's 18 here. But we want to invest in one, and so um, we are the largest provider of mentors in our county at this point for that one elementary school. But the cool thing is, our the vision was that every element every school would have mentors and that are active from local churches in there. And so we now have not just our school that has mentors. We have five other schools that have other churches that are mentoring in those schools as well, and we've helped them start that process. Um, and so we went from that to the biggest one that we're incredibly excited about right now. Because again, it's the same what you guys feel as well. The church should be the first phone call when there's a need in the community. Like, sadly, it's not that way, but the church should. And that's been our desire. Back in January, uh, the, the uh, county um, rec department, basketball rec department, the board stepped down for just different reasons. And so they were not going to have rec basketball this year. And we were the first name that got brought up in the county rec meeting. And they, the question was, would City Church be interested in taking over this program? And so we got a phone call. My initial response was yes. And then I thought about it. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> we need to know what this actually entails. And um, and so we presented it about four months ago um, to the rec department. We got unanimous yeses uh, to launch Spalding United Youth Basketball. And so uh, now we are the single provider of rec basketball in Spalding County. And so we just had our first workout this past Saturday. And so we had 300 kids. Every kid has a team and every team has a coach, which is a huge deal in this community. And so 37 teams, um, we are getting to lead that charge. And so I just think, and, and again, all of these pieces, we tell people, all of these pieces are steps to lead people to Jesus. And so we've seen it. We've seen people from movies in the park come to know Jesus, from mentoring come to know Jesus, and get baptized. We've seen ice cream truck events. And so now what we're praying is, um, that the people that we meet and the families that we serve through Spalding United Youth Basketball um, would come to know Jesus as we serve and as we make our city greater. So.
And here's the interesting thing. This whole idea of no strings attached generosity, although it's so prevalent in Jesus' teaching, it was a, actually a part of the introduction of Jesus into the world. Luke, who wrote one of the books of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus, he begins his account of Jesus with the story of a man named John. Now, he's typically called John the Baptist because he baptized people and all four of the people who write about Jesus' life, they write about him and a Roman historian named Josephus who also talks about him and the Koran also talks about John. So nobody really doubts that he was a historical figure and all of them agree on his role in history, it was to introduce Jesus into the world and to get the world ready for the fact that God was about to do something on the planet that was gonna be unique. So he shows up like a wild and crazy guy. One of those guys that you wanna go see, but you wanna go with a group because there's safety in numbers. He was a guy you'd watch from a distance, but you'd never invite him home for dinner because he was loud and obnoxious, kinda of in your face. But he got the attention of everybody in Jerusalem, so much so that one of the writers about Jesus' life says this, all of Jerusalem went out to see him. Now. I doubt the whole city went out, but he had everybody's attention. So this writer Luke tells us a little bit about John the Baptist, and I wanna focus on one particular thing that he said. Here's how Luke writes it, and I want you to notice, he writes it like history, not like a story. He doesn't start long time ago in a place far, far away. Instead, he says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Arturia and Traconius, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. He's saying, I want you to know this actually took place. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then Luke pulls out from the narrative, and before he tells us too much about John, uh, he says, let me tell you who John was. John was actually predicted. Someone actually predicted John way long before John ever showed up. Then he quotes an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, and reminded the people of his time that Isaiah told us that before God shows up in history, he's gonna send a person who's gonna get everybody ready for the message of God's chosen Messiah. This is who John is. He's the front man for the Messiah. And then he tells how John greeted the people who came out from Jerusalem to see him. Imagine being greeted like this at church. Here's your bulletin. You brood of vipers sit down over on the third row. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from this coming wrath. This is why you went with a group and you kind of stood at a distance and you watched. And then he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, don't you tell me you're the children of God. I don't care what you believe or what your mama taught you. I wanna see some evidence that something has changed. Don't tell me you had an experience with God. I wanna see evidence. There needs to be something visible in your life that tells the world that your heart is right with God. That's what will prepare you and assure you that you're ready for what God's about to do. <laughs> this guy's bold. He says, don't tell me who you're related to or how much you've been to church. I don't care about any of that history. I'm talking about you here and now. 
I, if I don't see evidence from you, then it doesn't really matter what kind of decision you made in the quietness of your heart. I mean, this was so direct and so offensive to people when he says, I know you say you're Abraham's children. That makes you about as valuable to me as a rock. And if you don't do something, there's an ax ready to land on the root of the tree and God's gonna cut it down and throw it in a fire. So some of them listen and I can imagine sort of timidly, they raise their hand and they ask, so like, what should we do? In other words, if there needs to be fruit that's visible, if there needs to be outward evidence of the fact that we've got our hearts in sync with what God's gonna do, then what should we do? John replied, go to church. And after a while, you read the Bible. No, that's not what he said. But that's what everybody's expecting in our world that he would say. We would expect, if you were asking a religious question, you'd get a religious answer. If, if this is all about getting things right with God, then surely the answer is gonna have something to do with God or church or temple or sacrifice or prayer or read something or devote yourself to something. Instead, John is like, you really wanna know what evidence of the fact that you're, what's going on inside of you is syncing up with what God wants to do on the outside of you? Then here it is, John answered. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Now, now wait a minute, John. John, I think you missed it. You were telling us about God, he wants us to do something and we need to bring forth fruit to show that we're ready for God to do something and we're ready. So what should we do to show we're ready? I just told you. If you have something and somebody has none of something, you should give one of what you have so that both of you now have one. But, but John, that's not religious. That's the kind of stuff we teach our children to share. Are you sure that's evidence of our hearts of that they're where they need to be? John said, oh my bad, I did forget something. Also, anyone who has food to share should do the same. Now this is hard for us to get in our culture because around your house everywhere you could drive and get more food than people in the first century saw in a lifetime. Food was scarce. When Jesus taught them to pray to give us today our daily bread, that's the way most of them lived. Everybody got a daily allotment of bread and that's about it. Few people had vegetables, but if you've been to this part of the world, you know it's hard to grow anything. So when he said, oh, by the way, if you have extra food, they were like, wait, wait a second, not food. Maybe a shirt because I can live without a shirt, but you run out of food? That's a whole different thing. John's like, you wanna know if your heart's ready for what God's about to do? Then you give what may be the most difficult thing for you to give. Then we'll know you're ready. They're thinking, we're talking about God and you're talking about food? I I'm trying, John, to be right with God. And you know, the vertical kind of thing. And you keep pointing to other people. What's the deal with that? John introduced something that would become the center of Jesus' teaching and of all Christianity. John introduces the idea that you can't be right with God and be off with people. And we are called, as Jesus would eventually teach us, to do unto others as our Heavenly Father has done and is continually doing unto us. And if you are unwilling to do for others what God has done and is doing for you, then don't think that everything is okay with you and God. 
But it isn't only religious people who needed to understand this. You see, it wasn't just those who thought they were right with God that were listening to John. There were two other groups there. The next verse says, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Now, if you read the Bible, you'll find that in Jesus's day, there were two groups of people that nobody wanted to associate with, tax collectors and sinners. And the tax collectors were seen as being so bad that if you were in the group called the sinners, you were offended if somebody thought that you were a tax collector. Oh, I am not a tax collector. I am just a good old fashioned, dirty, rotten sinner. Do not get it wrong. So this group of people who had been put so outside of all proper circles of society were standing there and they're thinking, is there any hope for me, a tax collector, if I want to show that I'm ready for what God is doing? What should I do? John says, don't collect any more money than what you're required to, which basically means you're going to have to stop doing your job because that's what they did was collect more than what was required. And that's how they got paid. That's how they fed their children. John says, you have to do something different. What he's telling them is that they're going to have to do the right thing, not what they can feel right about doing. I know you can feel okay about collecting more than what is owed. That's what you've been doing and everyone expects it. And you have the power of the Roman army behind you, but don't do what you can get away with. Do what is right. And there's one more group there as well. It's a group of soldiers and they are just there to keep an eye on things and to make sure that the crowd doesn't get out of hand. But then some of them start to listen to what John is saying and they decide to ask, what about us? What should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. It's the same thing. Don't do what you can get away with because you have the power of the army. Do what is right. To his audience, he said, if you want to exhibit the kind of fruit that says your heart is ready for what God is about to do, you have to be charitable. You have to be just. It takes generosity, compassion, and justice. What you do matters. What you do is a reflection of what's in your heart. And when the forerunner of Jesus was asked, what should we do in response to God's coming kingdom? He didn't even mention anything religious. He just said, be generous and be just. And that will be the evidence that you're ready for the kingdom of God in your midst. In other words, he said, I want you to provide for those who need provision. And I want you to protect those who need protection. This is life in the kingdom of God and followers of Jesus, we are kingdom people. And so for those of us at Community Christian, uh, we're gonna continue to pray and we're gonna continue to gather and we're gonna sing and we're gonna open God's word together and we're gonna gather in circles. But we as a church, we're not gonna allow those things to cause us to neglect what's the primary thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world. We're going to do unto others because what God has done for and to us. That's what do something is all about. 
And so all year long at Community Christian, we try to stay real involved in our community, our state, and our world to bring God's kingdom. And then every year as a part of CCC's celebration of Jesus' birth, that's what we try to do. We do something to help the poor in our world. And last week, we started telling you about Christmas in Coweta, where we try to give gifts in the name of Jesus to help children who would not have them because they're poor in our culture. And, and I hope you'll go to cccanywhere.com and click on Christmas in Coweta and sign up to sponsor a kid or two. But in addition to that, every year, we also try to take up a large do something offering and we just give it all away to causes that help the poor. And we try to partner with local and international ministries who are doing a great job we raise money and we just give it 100% away. I'm proud to say that we were the first money in our county to bridging the gap and it does work every day in our county to help the poor and we've made donations to them this year. We've done clean water projects around the world and all kinds of other initiatives in Haiti to do something about poverty there. Normally, we have something in the country of Haiti because they're the poorest nation neighbor to the U.S. And I know many people involved in Community Christian are very interested in what our next step is in Haiti. But right now, for lots of reasons, we don't really have a clear next step there. But after a year and a half of worldwide pandemic, this year we're partnering once again with an organization that we first worked with a few months before the pandemic began. One of the largest destroyers of financial stability in our country is medical debt. It's hard on everyone, but it takes the largest toll on our country's most vulnerable segments, the chronically ill, the elderly, the poor. And it may shock you, but the stats are really clear. It attacks our veterans. It also targets the middle class, driving many families who are barely getting by into poverty. Medical debt isn't the result of decisions made, but a necessity. A few years ago, two former medical debt collectors, frustrated by what they saw the industry doing to debtors, came up with a plan of attack to address the nation's problem by starting with the most vulnerable, struggling individuals in their family. Fresh start, way back toward financial stability. They created a nonprofit organization that would pinpoint the debt of those in or near poverty level in our country buy their debt at pennies on the dollars and then totally forgive the debt. Then they send a forgiveness notice to the families that are benefited and then they help those families uh, rebuild their credit reports with, which renews their access to other resources that are available to help them to rebuild and recover. So here's where we come in this year. We're going to once again partner with RIP Medical Debt and we're gonna ask everyone who attends CCC to give a one-time donation not a weekly donation, not a repeated donation, and none of these donations will go to CCC. We're gonna give it all away to relieve the medical debt of people who live in the state of Georgia. In fact, we're working with other organizations in the state to wipe out all the medical debt that's already been turned over to collections. So once again, we're asking everyone to give $40 per person in your family, not weekly, but a one-time gift. And because I don't really know how many people are involved on, uh, online, I don't really have a goal set. But let me tell you, uh, so you can see how it works. For every $100 that's given, it relieves $10,000 of medical debt. Two years ago when we did this, we raised over $30,000 and we relieved almost $4 million worth of debt in Carroll, Heard, Coweta, Fayette, and Meriwether counties. But my goal for this year, is that we would just get 100% participation. 
And because your donation is multiplied so many times older, if you can't give $40, give $30 or $20 or $10. And if you don't give anything else, if you haven't already considered it your own, give the $1 that I gave you a few weeks ago to start talking to you about money. Maybe add one more and with our $2, we can relieve $200 worth of debt. And you can do that right now by going to cccanywhere.com, click on do something, or click on the give button at the bottom and choose do something as the fund. Or you can send a check to the address on the webpage. Remember, we're looking for 100% participation as we do our part in continuing the tradition of followers of Christ of doing something for others who would not do it for us. We do what God has done for us. So we offer no strings attached generosity as we love everyone always. You and I have been invited to join God in his mission to extend his kingdom of generosity, compassion, and justice to all the world around us. And here at Community Christian, we want to help you experience that life. And so I hope you'll take a moment before you finish watching this video to go to cccanywhere.com and click on the card that says do something to give to this campaign. You'll not only get to do something to make a difference in our world, but you'll get to do so by joining with others who also take Jesus' commands about compassion and generosity seriously. Because if you want this video to be more than just another piece of content that you're consuming, it needs to be a doorway into a community that you can be committed to. And this could be your first step. So I hope you'll go to cccanywhere.com and fill out the form on the card that says, do something. And together we can make a difference in the lives of those who desperately need it. But no matter what you choose to do or what you even believe about any of this, I hope you leave knowing that no matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you.